The following program deals with a controversial subject. The theories expressed are not the only possible interpretation. Viewers are invited to make a judgment based on all available information. This is your captain speaking. We are beginning our descent into madness. are off to another edition of West of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late for some of you, uh, but believe me, tonight we have a very, very exciting show lined up for you tonight. How are you doing over there, Genevieve? Not bad. Thank you very much. I'm doing excited. Okay? Yep. Yeah. Tonight, tonight's <laughs> going to be a really interesting show because we, uh, we're going to start off with a, with a, a, a great guest, um, someone that, uh, you know, it's, it's quite respected in, in the UFO community. And uh, uh, if I may take a, a quick minute here to introduce him, he is a, an American historian. He obtained his uh, PhD from the University of Wisconsin. And the field of intellectual history, he wrote his dissertation on uh, the controversy over unidentified flying objects in America, uh, and he's well known in the field of ufology, ufology research. Um, boy, my accent sometimes kicks in pretty early, <laughs> earlier than expected, and uh, particularly in the subject of alien abductions. Uh, he's written several books, uh, including, uh, among other titles, The UFO Controversy in America, Secret Life, First-Hand Accounts of UFO Abductions, and I believe he's, he's a great guest to have after last week's guest, which was Travis Walton, who shared with us a bit of his uh, uh, alien abduction experience. So without further ado, I'm going to bring uh, Dr. David Jacobs and uh, can you hear me okay, Dr. David? Yes, yes. Great. Thank you for being with us tonight. Like I said, I'm really excited that, that you have taken the time to talk to us. I know you're out in the East Coast, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a bit later than out here in L.A., so I'm, I'm very grateful for your uh, generosity with your time. Well, uh, I just hope I can live up to your introduction. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you will exceed it. I, I, I have no doubt in my mind. So let me ask you something. You are obviously a, a very intelligent uh, man. You're, you're uh, a scholar. Uh, how did, did, did you get interested in, in this topic of UFOs and alien abductions that, I mean, a lot of people who of your stature, uh, you know, would not really give it much uh, thought? Well, um, I'm, I'm not exactly fully sure uh, how I got interested in it, uh, but I became interested in it when I was uh, at UCLA. Uh, I, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. Oh, cool. And uh, you know, I went to UCLA, and I got interested in it, just sort of reading in it for recreation and, and for relaxation uh, when I was an undergraduate. And then I kind of got hooked, and uh, I, I, I continued to do research in it as a graduate student and, uh, at the University of Wisconsin. And as you know, as you said, I, I wound up writing my dissertation on the subject, and I, I got my degree in 1973. And um, I've sort of been involved with it ever since then as the main field of, of my endeavor. So I've spent almost my entire adult life studying UFOs and abductions. That is really uh, interesting because it was around that time uh, that it seems like the first real uh, big popular abduction case happened, which was the Betty and Barney Hill 
uh, uh, case. Right. That was uh, that was a few years before I became interested in the subject. Their 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 case came out in six. Uh, their event happened in 1961, uh, and uh, it was publicized uh, for the first time in about 1966. And uh, by that time, I was already sort of into UFOs, but I, I really didn't care all that much about abductions. Uh, there were there weren't uh, just it, you know it was, it was just too off the wall even for for UFO researchers at the time. And I I, I didn't get interested in the abduction phenomenon until the early 80s. Mm, I see. And what was what triggered you to start looking into this? I mean, because these are very, uh, I mean, these the allegations of abductions. I mean, aren't literally as far out there as you can get. You know, they are, uh, and and up until the 1980s, uh, I, I had no, I had very little interest in it. Although I read some books on them, but to me, they they had they just were too. It was too easy for them to be psychological. Right. So, right. Um, but I changed my mind when I was introduced to Bud Hopkins, who had been doing uh, some research for several mm. years in the subject. Right. And uh, in 1982, I uh, I met him, and then I and I ultimately became friends with him and sat in on his regression sessions, and. Uh, I realized uh, even in '82 that 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 he, that he might be onto something. I remember I I called up uh, my friend Alan Hynek, who was uh, chief uh, Air Force consultant uh, for UFOs from uh, for Project Blue Book uh, for many many years, and um, I told Alan that that. This guy Hopkins, uh, Bud Hopkins, had, he was onto something. That he, uh, he, he, the, 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 there was more to this abduction phenomenon than we had thought. And and Alan told me, no, David, uh, stay away from those abductions. You stick with UFOs. You know that's where the evidence is, mm. hard evidence, and all that. Uh, with abductions, you're just dealing primarily with you know memory and all. And uh, I said, I don't know. I think he's onto something. And. Uh, I must say that if I'd have stuck with Alan Hynek's um, uh, his, his his wisdom, uh, I probably could have led a very different life than the one that I did leave. <laughs> right. And so um, uh, I, I, I continued on with the abduction phenomenon. And then in 1986, I, I started uh, doing uh, my own hypnotic regressions of, of abductees, and I've been sort of doing it ever since. Uh, now uh, you you wrote a book, uh, uh, Secret Life: First Hand Accounts of UFO Abductions, which is basically a, a more or less transcripts, correct, of these um, uh, hypnotic uh, regressions uh, with uh, people who. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Yes and no. Okay. Um, incidentally, I'm getting a, a lot of feedback of my own voice. I'm sorry to say that, but I'll continue on. Um, the uh, uh, Secret Life took uh, people on a sort of a minute-by-minute minute, uh, abduction event of the most uh, common type. Now, when the book came out in 1992, and we just—I I had learned quite a lot about it from '86 on, but. Uh, there was a lot more to learn, as I was to find out later on. Mm -hmm. uh, I then wrote a book called The Threat, and um, that was uh, came out in 1998, uh, and and that was a, a, a kind of a second part of the uh, Secret Life book, mm -hmm. which increased our knowledge of the subject considerably and um, and went far deeper into it than Secret Life did. 
And now I'm just finishing a book. Uh, this is a lot of years later, of our uh, which which will hopefully be published next year, and will give us um, a, a much greater insight into the abduction phenomenon than we've ever had before. So uh, I, I've spent an awful lot of time trying to unravel this mystery, and uh, uh, it does not lend its uh, secrets to us very easily, but it, but it will do it. Now, uh, you know, alien abductions, uh, I grew up reading my dad's books uh, when I was a kid, and he's always been fascinated by this. And uh, obviously with the case of Betty and Barney Hill, uh, it, it, it proves to be a very traumatic experience. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we, we had Travis Walton uh, as a guest last week also discussing this. Uh, what can you tell me about these abductions? What is the purpose of of taking human beings and and doing these tests and and basically uh, uh, you know traumatizing them for, for or scarring them for the for the rest of of their life. Well, let's let's sort of dissect your your question and start with trauma first. Mm -hmm. um, for many years, people uh, uh, in my, and I. Uh, people thought that the abduction phenomenon was extremely traumatic to people and that it uh, caused all sorts of problems in, in secret life. I called it the post-abduction syndrome. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and in fact, that was true. It did cause problems. It was traumatic, etc., etc. Um, the problem here is that as Bud Hopkins uh, uh, discovered early on, the phenomenon is intergenerational. Mm. That is to say, a person is abducted if their mother or their father was an abductee, or both. I see. They were abductees because their mothers or fathers were abductees. And they were abductees, and in that way we can sort of date how this where the, where the phenomenon began, and we think it began probably in the last quarter of the 19th century, oddly enough, wow. uh, which is far, far uh, longer uh, time than, than I, I, I originally imagined. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, it's abductions begin for each person in infancy, probably, because t we have accounts of people being abducted with their babies, mm. certainly as very young children. Uh, and continue with varying degrees of frequency and sometimes great, great frequency throughout the course of their lives. And we think, we think stop maybe um, in the uh, mid-70s or, 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 or late 70s because people don't describe seeing really elderly people on board UFOs when they are abducted themselves. They don't see others who are there who are older than them, who are very old, rather. Um, now, If, in fact, they're abducted lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of times, I, 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 to tell you the numbers is going to make it seem totally even crazier than, 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 I'm, than it is, in a way. Mm -hmm. um, how traumatic could it be? Because, in fact, it's part of their lives. They've been abducted all their lives since the time they were children. Wow! See what I mean? How yeah. how traumatic could that be? Yet at the same time, there is the trauma of seeing beings in a room and 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 all that. But what we found is that the main trauma comes from remembering it. 
Wow. It's people are afraid to remember it. They're afraid to unleash these memories. And once they get past past that, and if they have like a, a, several sessions, uh, maybe you know six or seven or ten sessions, or or, or twenty or hundred with me, um, they get used to it very quickly, mm-hmm. and they they become interested in it. And that trauma tends to dissipate because they keep remembering it over and over and over again, and eventually they just get bored. If you can imagine that, they get they actually do get bored, and they, you know they want to get on with their lives. They right. know it's going to happen again, and uh, they don't care anymore. And so, uh, so people who approach the subject strictly through the world of trauma, that's it, it, fine and it's good, and, and, and abductees have to be helped. But in fact, uh, we have to take a look and see exactly what kind of trauma it is, and and how that trauma works, and how we can alleviate that, and 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 actually, as it turns out, we can alleviate it fairly quickly, fairly quickly, uh, um, so that uh, it, because it is, as I said, it's it's part of their lives, and they know it's. After a while, that is really interesting because it, it seems like you're saying it, you know it started when they were when they were children and they basically just got accustomed to it. That's uh, that's uh, basically what you're saying, correct? Uh, it, it right. Well, I, the point yeah, I'm not where, so sure that they. Uh, well, yeah, not accustomed not to so it sure because that would be, right. be the the proper word. Yeah. Um, could I just right, butt but, in and sorry? Um, I just wanted to ask. Um, so, how do you come around about the information that babies are potentially getting abducted? Is it through regressions alone? And if yes, then how reliable is that information if it's so far back in time? And right, no, it's it's parents are abducted with their their babies, so okay. so would deal with the parents, and they say that their babies with them. For example, uh, one woman talked about her. Uh, she had like a four-year-old child or something like that, and these beings took her and her kid. And she said to uh, she said to him, uh, you know, he was very distraught. Don't take my baby. Don't take my baby. He's very, very distraught. Very distraught. Mm-hmm. And, um, and 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 when she got on board the object, uh, they they walked this woman into. Uh, they took the baby away and they walked this woman into. Um, uh, uh, an ante room essentially and they had her take her clothes off and sit on a ledge and, and there's other people in there and all the rest of that stuff and then they took her down a hallway the usual stuff and they took her into a room and they did that and this and that and I asked her do you, do you, do you see your, your child anymore your, your four year old you know and it didn't even occur to her Mm-hmm. She didn't even think about it. It wasn't even in her mind. It was already, uh, she wasn't even thinking of her child at all. You know, it's the, odd, the oddest thing. And it has to do with with the kind of mental state that they're in when they're mm-hmm. there. Uh, and she was really surprised that, that it had not been, she had not been ruminating on, on her kid just as soon as they took it away from her. But but we know that from other where 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 babies are are taken uh, from the the parents are or the father or the mother is there and they see the baby be, being taken there's nothing they can do this uh but um but but it, uh, the best thing we can say is it starts in early childhood mm-hmm. and, we'll, and we'll be safe with that you know and and people kids rem- people remember things that happened to them not with great clarity, I must say, because your brain is not fully mm-hmm. organized to remember these things that long. But 
when they're five, six, and, and, and certainly up, up to around the age of 12. Now, interestingly enough, kids up to around the age of 11 or 12 will remember things consciously far better than they will after around the age of 11 or 12. The brain is organized in a different way by that time for the memory retention. And, um, and by the age of 11 or 12, they begin to not remember things. And they, the things that they did remember, they think, seem to think are just dreams or childish things mm-hmm. or something like that. It's only later on when they begin to have these, when they begin to know that they're having these other experiences that they realize, oh, this has been going on for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, now I know. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that, you know. So uh, memory is tricky. Now, another part of your question is, well, how do you, how do you know about him? What's with hypnosis? Is that, is that a viable way of, uh, of obtaining, uh, you know, truthful accounts and all that? Right. And, of course, everybody asks that. Uh, and and if you're a serious UFO researcher, that's the first thing you ask. You know, is this mm-hmm. mental? Are, are we calling this forth through hypnosis? Uh, and um, the problem here is is that when you're dealing with abductions, you have to understand what the physical evidence is for it. As in the Travis Walton case, people are physically missing from their normal environments when they are abducted. Right. Search parties have been called out. Parents have searched for their children. Children have searched for their parents. Uh, And this goes on all the time. If they were not physically missing, if they were, let's just say, down at a local bar, bending their elbow and not telling their wife and saying, well, I got abducted by aliens or something when they come back, uh, you wouldn't be talking to me. We'd know that it would be a whole different world. But in fact, they don't know where they were and nobody else knows where they are, where they were. Sometimes for a couple of hours, three hours, four hours, and sometimes for several days, and sometimes, as in Travis's case, for five days. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, so so in, the situation is such that, that not only is, are they physically missing, but people are often abducted in groups and can confirm each other's abductions. Mm. And once you say that... They can confirm each other's abductions in groups. Now, it might be a family group. It might be a group of strangers. Um, all psychological explanations fall when you say that, when, that, when people uh, understand that, that, that others can see them and, and, and confirm their abductions. Because this is either a psychological phenomenon or it's happening. There's nothing in the middle. It's not like UFO sightings where people can be, mis- they're seeing an object, but they're mm-hmm. mistaken. Mm-hmm. Right. This is this is it's happening, or it's psychological, you know, right. for whatever reason. Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, in this phenomenon, though, uh, you have this, these these two situations going on: people are abducted in groups, and also uh, they're physically missing. Not only that, but people sometimes see other people being abducted and are not abducted themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bud Hopkins wrote a book called Witnessed, where he found uh, 24 witnesses to an abduction case in the middle of New York City, of all places, wow. um, uh, to various aspects of it, including people who were stopped their cars to watch this on the Brooklyn Bridge, of all things. Wow. And um, and uh, uh, and so and that happens, and 
And, and there's more. When people are returned, sometimes they're returned with unusual marks and, and scars and, uh, on their bodies. And I've, I have seen in person with my, with my own eyes, with mine own eyes, as they say, <laughs> uh, fully formed scars after an abduction event that were not there the day before. Wow. Yeah. Which is a biological impossibility, and I saw that. I had a session with a woman uh, who uh, saw me the next day. I only had <laughs> she called up my wife and found out where I was the next day, and I was in a supermarket shopping, mm-hmm. and uh, she, she, she tracked me down there as I was pushing a cart, and um, she just said she wanted to show me something, and she showed me her right hand, and between her thumb and her forefinger, there was about an inch-long scar, a real, mm-hmm. actual scar, a fully formed scar tissue, which had not been there the day before when wow. I did a session with her. Then she lifted up her other arm, her left arm, and she showed me another fully formed scar, exactly the same length, well, essentially the same length, about an inch long, in the same location between her thumb and forefinger, on her left hand. Mm-hmm. That was not there the day before, and my jaw hit the floor, wow. to tell you the truth. That was, I was looking at something that was simply not possible. I, I was mm-hmm. gaping at something that was impossible. So, um, out but of interest. that's what happens with abductees. That, that mm-hmm. that's abductee stuff, you know. So you have that kind of evidence. Then you have a, a looser kind of evidence where people are returned with their clothes inside out, right. with clothes missing, or wearing somebody else's clothes. Mm. That's bizarre. Yeah. Is that that, is yes, and it, it is strange. <laughs> and I, you know, it's it's it's. Because they gave them the wrong clothes to put on, and the person was mm-hmm. out of it, and they came back, and so you have things like that. And there's more. There's more information now. So there's a physicality to this subject. Without mm. that physicality, once again, you wouldn't be talking to me. Right. Uh, I, I would be a much happier person. <laughs> um, but that physicality does exist, and and there's something else. When people remember things, now this is going to be through relaxation techniques. I'm not even going to glorify this to say it's hypnosis. Because mm-hmm. it, 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 hypnosis is the stupidest damn thing there ever was, <laughs> if I may use those words. It's totally um, fine. You, right. You, you, say, you say relaxing words. I want you to relax, relax, relax. Your, your legs, your, your thighs, your knees, your calves, whatever. And you go up the body down, and then you sort of go down a little, some steps that I say into a nice, comfortable state of relaxation. Well, if you want to do that, okay. If you don't want to do that, it's not going to happen. You're in total and complete command. And most people will say to me, uh, uh, you know, uh, David, I don't think I'm hypnotized. And the answer is, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just lay back down. I have a little day bed that, I, that they lay on. I'll lay back down, close your eyes, and I, and it doesn't matter. And I start asking questions, and they start remembering, mm-hmm. even though they've not remembered these things ever. And and what they remember is what they what other people remember in the same exact detail that wow. people are saying around the world, regardless of where they were born, their upbringing, their religion, their economic status, their educational status, their geographic status, nothing matters. They all say the same thing. I have had people who are 
psychiatrists, psychologists, physicians as their general practice, uh, attorneys, uh, police officers, uh, uh, high school teachers, uh, people who are therapists of all sorts, people who uh, are business people, people who dropped out of school when they were 12 years old or 16 years old, and everybody in between, people who can't hold a job and all that, and they all say the same thing, things that have never been said before. They all say the same never said before things. It is absolutely astonishing. There's never been anything like this in human history. I can say that with absolute confidence. The closest thing you can get to it is ghosts. That's the closest. Mm -hmm. Now, with ghosts, when we take a look at ghosts, the you know the British Psychical Society was founded primarily to look at ghosts and fairies and mm-hmm. and, and, and demons and things like that back in uh, I can't remember the eighteen eighties I think, mm-hmm. and um, we know about as much about ghosts now as we did back in the eighteen eighties. We don't know who gets to go a haunting. We don't know why all dead people don't haunt. <laughs> we don't know what ghosts do in their downtime. Mm-hmm. You know, right. we don't know whether ghosts get together and talk to each other. We don't know. I mean, we don't know any. There's no backstory here. You right. understand? With the abduction phenomenon, it's all backstory. We have nothing but depth, and all the depth dovetails precisely. It is absolutely jaw dropping. So, uh,. Uh, it's it's the phenomenon is not what people think it is. It's it's different. It's not just making up stories. Or, or you know, obviously, if this were just psychological, every every story would be a little different. It would be idiosyncratic, depending on the person's life and upbringing. And mm-hmm. and uh, obviously, if a person was kept in a closet for the first nine years of his life, uh, he might have a different take on life than other people. <laughs> right. And uh, so, uh, uh, but it does not matter what kind of upbringing people had or anything it's mind-boggling so so you have to understand all that before you even get to the idea of hypnosis Um, now how hypnosis works i don't really know Mm -hmm. i i don't i don't understand it i I, i've been doing it since 1986 i don't know how it works but Mm -hmm. it does it's just the asking of questions in a logical or chronolog- and chronological manner that allows people to take a step, 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 step. Let's just say they're sitting on a couch watching television, mm-hmm. and they're waiting for a show to come on, and the next thing they know, they're back sitting on the couch, and the show that they were waiting for is it's been gone for hours as they were waiting for the show to come on at 9 o'clock at night, and now it's 12 o'clock at night, and they're still sitting there. And they, and they say, what the hell happened? I know I didn't fall asleep. I mean, I was sitting there alert and awake, waiting. You know, I wasn't tired. And they didn't slump over in those three hours and wake up, you know, in a prone position or something like that. And, and, and so when you do a, a session on this, you, you have to ask them, you know, what's happening in the room and they say well these beings are coming in and uh and you know you have to figure out how they get up and how they walk out of the room or go out of the room and how they get into this ufo or wherever they're going and 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 
and they and you just take it step by step by step like that, and they just tend to remember. Now I'm putting a light gloss on this because it's more difficult than that, and you have to sort of have a certain amount of uh, staying power with it. And the first session is always most difficult. The second session is easier, and the third session is easier, and, and so forth. But eventually the stories come out, and uh, you know. When I was I retired from Temple University, where I taught uh, uh, from 1975 to, uh, to 2011, and from 1977 to 2011, I taught a course called UFOs in American Society. Mm-hmm. It was the only course on UFOs and abductions uh, in the United States, if not the world. I know for a fact the United States. It was a regular upper level for full credit. For graduation, if they wanted a course through the American Studies program, then the History Department uh, for graduation, and they, you know, it's a regular class. Wow, that was quite uh, revolutionary, I must say. And, well, I wish it was revolutionary, and then several other ones would start, but well, I couldn't yeah. quite start a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, and I would ask students, like when we began to think about uh, the abduction phenomenon, I'd ask students, what is the most common event that virtually all abductees say, regardless of who they are around the world. What is the most common abduction event other than getting their clothes off or getting somebody's clothes off or something like that? Mm-hmm. Not a single person could ever even imagine what that common event was. Not ever. In all those years, not a single person ever figured it out. Hmm. And it's a staring procedure where these beings will stare at an individual into an individual's eyes from a distance of, oh, an inch, a couple inches, Mm. sometimes touching foreheads. Wow. Mm -hmm. When they can't close their eyes, they can't shift their eyes in either direction. And um, this is one of the most, I have hundreds of accounts of this, literally. That's not exaggeration. And um, who would think of something like that? I mean, Wow, how do you come up with something like that uh, mm-hmm. as the most common event? Now, obviously, people understand this, and they've, they've read my books and all that, and so, so people will say that. But, but, for, uh, but for anybody who's not read those books or are not familiar with the abduction phenomenon, they have, they, they're clueless as opposed to something that would come naturally tripping out of their brain if they were trying to make this up in hypnosis or something like that. You see what mm-hmm. I mean? So there's lots and lots and lots and lots of those kinds of, of elements within the, within the abduction phenomenon that are just uh, uh, n- not really known in the public, uh, and uh, so it's 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 a complex situation. Hypnosis is complex. Mm-hmm. A, a serious abduction researchers understand the limitations of uh, of hypnosis. Yeah. Serious abduction researchers understand confabulation, where people say things that are not true, even though they think they are true, but they are not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I've tried to specialize in that, sifting the, the wheat from the chaff, basically, and knowing when somebody is saying to me is not true. And most people will realize that what they're saying makes no sense. <laughs> and uh, and uh, this once again, this confabulation is most in the first session, and then 
tapers off in the second session and tapers even almost to non-existence by the third session. Now, so, one of the, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to uh, interrupt, but one of the things that, that you also have talked about uh, in, in length is this um, hybrid experiments that they seem to be carrying. Uh, is this the purpose of the abductions? Uh, yes and no. I'm going to deconstruct your, your question again. Okay. <laughs> How's that? It's, no, it's been the word. Okay, the word experiment mm-hmm. is, is a word that is still used for abduction, the abduction phenomenon. Um, and when I wrote Secret Life in 1992, I assumed that what we were looking at here was experimenting on people, these beings, uh, gray aliens, experimenting on people, learning about us, studying us, uh, you know, in, in something that we would do if we were to go to a, another planet and find uh, life, Correct. you know. Uh, and that, the, that's the experiment, experimental model theory of, the, of, of abductions. By the time I had written The Threat, I realized that the evidence for this being an experiment, for this being some sort of learning situation for these beings, simply was non-existent. It wasn't weak. It was non-existent. It just, there wasn't, the, the evidence just wasn't there for that. The evidence, in fact, was far stronger, in fact, overwhelmingly stronger for this being a planned program with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it was goal-directed. In other mm-hmm. words, they were here for a reason. It wasn't just learning about us. Not only that, but the phenomenon was clandestine, secret. Mm-hmm. And the reason for secrecy, and here's an undeniable reason I can say assurance, and with abductions, it's tough to say anything with absolute assurance, but I can say this with absolute assurance, the reason for secrecy is they didn't want us to know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because right. if they didn't care, we, it wouldn't matter. It didn't have to be secret. They're being secret for a reason, mm-hmm. and the bottom line is they don't want us to know what they're doing. And so early on, back in 1983, uh, my colleague and close friend Bud Hopkins, and anybody who knows anything about UFOs or abductions knows Bud Hopkins. Right. Um, who was my my closest and dearest friend for th- thirty years? Um, he uh, he called me up in eighty three. This is three years before I started doing uh, hypnosis, and um, he told me he had discovered the, the 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 most astounding, the most amazing case he'd ever heard. It was just absolutely mind boggling, and, and and he was just he was beside himself with amazement. And he told me that, um, he asked me if I, you know, he said, well, you know, this woman. And I said, yes. And he said, well, they, they abducted her and they brought her into a room and, and they brought out uh, this weird looking baby mm-hmm. who looked like a cross between a human and an alien. Mm. And I was floored because you, you just did not hear the word baby Mm-hmm. In, in an abduction context or in right. a UFO context, the, the word "baby" just didn't come out. And ever, you know, what? And and um, he said, "I said yes, yes, this weird baby." And not only that, but they wanted her to hold the baby. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, wow. hold the baby? What for? What for? What do you mean, hold the baby? What kind of craziness is this? And he said, not only that, but they want her to feed the baby. I remember saying to, to him exactly, feed the baby? Wow. What do you mean? Feed? Did she tell them that, that she couldn't feed the baby? She was not pregnant. She was not lactating. There's got to be a certain process that happens, mm-hmm. you know, to, to a woman before they can generate milk. It's just... And um, he, he said, yes, she told them that she, they couldn't feed the baby, but they forced her to put the baby to her breast anyway. Mm-hmm. And I thought after her, him telling me this, that if this was true, that um, we would never be able to understand these aliens' intentions because they value form over function. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The form is you put the baby to the woman's breast. But mm-hmm. the function doesn't matter because there is no function. There's no lactation. There's no milk. Mm-hmm. So um, this is a style of thinking that I don't understand. Yeah. You know, what kind of thinking is this? Well, the style of thinking that I didn't understand turned out to be my own thinking. Eventually, I learned the woman is already lactating. Everything is logical here. This is a, a severely logical phenomenon. And uh, women have sent me samples of breast milk, in fact, that they can't imagine how that happened because uh, it was after an abduction event and they were still lactating, actually. And uh, uh, it's, it's extremely common. And, uh, and basically, uh, most women, if not all women, go through that at one time or another. And so, uh, uh, but people see these babies and then they see them as toddlers they see them as young children, you know, seven, eight. They see them as older children, 12 right. and so forth. They see them as adolescents. They see them as young adults. They see them as adults. And then they don't see them as older adults mm. for um, reasons that just, we do not know. Could I just really quickly ask, um, in these incidences, how is communication occurring between the alien entities and the human beings? Thank you for asking that question. Because that question, to answer that question, mm-hmm. gives you an, an entree a little bit into, into the physical aspects of this phenomenon in a, in a strange way. Mm-hmm. Everything is telepathic. Okay. All communication is telepathic on board the ice object with gray aliens and with most hybrids. Um, I would say, you know, it's just as, uh, when you say everything, all those are, you're always bound to be wrong. There's going to be an exception somewhere, you know, but basically everything and all. Okay. Uh, so, uh, now, if this were psychological, mm-hmm. people wouldn't know that all communication is telepathic. They wouldn't know that. They would say, oh, I'd say, well, you know, what are they saying to you? They're saying blah, 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 blah. You know, they, you know, they speak with weird accents. Mm-hmm. You'd hear that from time to time. Or the language would be stilted like in the movies, you know, saying every yeah. single word with no contractions and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, or, 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 or whatever. Or in some, some may say, well, it's telepathic, but we get a mixture. We don't get a mixture. Mm-hmm. We just get telepathic. And um, just... It, it, let me... Let me uh, 
I'm going to flesh that out with another incident that okay. has nothing to do with telepathy. Mm-hmm. It is early on, I, I did a session with a woman, and she said she there. this is a nighttime uh, um, um, abduction, and, and I have to say that the... Uh, most of them are abduction. Uh, most abduction cases take place when a person is going to be missed the least, and that's obviously at night when they're out at their, mm-hmm. not at work or at school or something like that. Um, but uh, she, they, these beings came into her room and they took her out of her room, uh, took and uh, they, they took her out of her bed rather, and uh, they walked to the window, and uh, then she said she's going through the through the window. Mm-hmm. I said, whoa. Let me let me back you up a little bit. Let me. I said, when you get to the window, and I, I gave her a direct order. I went, do you open the window? Open the window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, no, I don't open the window. No. I said, well, do these beings open the window? No, 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 no. The beings don't open the window. Well, does the window open by itself in some bizarre way or whatever? No, no, no. And then she says to me, I think I'm just going right through the closed window. Oh, wow. Well, everybody says this. Everybody, 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 everybody through a wall or through the window or through the ceiling, whatever. Mm -hmm. They all say this. There's no need to say this if this is psychological. They would say, of course I open the window. Yeah. And what's the point of putting some aspect that's unbelievable, a point of disbelief, into a story they're trying to make me believe? Yeah, they wouldn't want to. When opening the window is easy. Mm -hmm. Why, sure. Nobody says they open the window. They all say they went right through the closed window. Once again, I've heard hundreds and hundreds of these. One time, somebody said, asked me after I heard like a couple hundred of them. Anybody else ever said that to you? Mm-hmm. I mean, the phenomenon is such that these are sincere people who are accurately describing what's happening to them, even though they know that what they're saying doesn't make any sense in, in the physical world in which we live. And yet they say it anyway for no reason other than accuracy. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you uh, is... Uh, on this show, uh, you know, over the last uh, year or so, we have been discussing the uh, the issue of these entities, these aliens, being extraterrestrial, or uh, you know, an- another theory that has been around for uh, for quite a bit, which is that they may actually be from another dimension and are able to pop in and out uh, into our our reality and have contact with with humans uh what what have you gathered from all of these abductions uh as far as who these beings are where are they coming from right well this is an interesting question and it follows along the lines of what i was just saying if this were psychological we'd know where they come from period Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're making up everything they make that up too why not Right. Uh, we'd have all sorts of uh, places they're from. Mm-hmm. We do not know where they were, f- where they are from, and we don't know. I cannot positively, absolutely tell you that they're from another planet because I do not know that. Mm-hmm. I do not know that. 
Uh, for all I know, they live on UFOs forever. Uh, that's all I know because abductees don't know that. Right. They don't, and that's because these beings do not describe where they're from. Mm-hmm. They just mm-hmm. don't say it, period. Um, and uh, uh, if this were psychological, though, of course, we'd know they're from the planet Vortec or the whatever, and they have some cockamamie name for their planet. That would, that would be some sort of human construct, obviously. And uh, now people have some uh, hybrids and, and aliens have sort of pointed up to the sky, and they say, if you look to the up to the that star there and you look to the right a little bit, that's where we're from. The problem here is that if they are from a planet, there's no way they can tell us that. Mm-hmm. Because we... By my, by my count, there are hundreds and hundreds of stars in the universe. Yeah. Maybe even more. We have lots of names mm-hmm. for stars. Lots of names. Maybe even thousands of names and numbers, mainly mostly numbers. Mm-hmm. They don't know necessarily what number we might have yeah. given a star mm-hmm. system that mm-hmm. they come from. Right. Yeah. And they, so how are they going to tell us it wouldn't mean that's one to thing? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, maybe they don't come from a galaxy or maybe they come from another universe. Here's my bottom line, and I'm, I'm horrible about these things, but it doesn't matter to me. I don't care how they got here. To me, it's a technological question. It's, a, it's an astrophysical question. It's, a, it's an engineering question. It's a physics question. The only thing that matters to me is, why are they here? Period. That's it. <laughs> That's the only thing that matters. That is the major question. How they got here is a sidelight. Mm-hmm. I don't care how they got here. It doesn't matter to me. But that's just me. It matters, obviously, to people who, you know, who are interested in that sort of stuff. And it would be interesting to know. But it doesn't answer the key questions. And that is, why are they here? What are they going to do with us? And all the rest of that stuff. Okay. Um, just briefly. Um, so from what I gather, you think that they want their actions and interactions with humans to remain a secret. Um, so why do you think it is that they do allow certain things to slip through and certain people to remember things um is that a mistake right. or intentional that is dynamite question thank you mm-hmm. i think that is part of what i call well in this book that i'm writing which i don't want to talk too much about but um the error rate mm-hmm. and uh we're looking at, at at living sentient beings who make errors mm-hmm. and uh and this phenomenon is so widespread around the world. It is, you know, anything you say about the subject is crazy. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so I might as well just blurt it out. But, the, you know, we, we, polls have shown that, that uh, there are hundreds of thousands of Americans and probably millions of Americans uh, who have been abducted. Most Americans, maybe 95% of Americans, do not know that they're abductees because mm-hmm. it's, when you're secret, the first thing you do is you keep it from the actual person yeah. so they don't remember it and tell everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the program of secrecy uh, being clandestine is, is extremely successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are people who have bleed through memories, distorted memories, snippets of memories of things of some abductions, even though they've been abducted again and again and again and again and again over the course of their lives. They'll remember a few things here and there. And 
I, I think that they just cannot be 100% perfect yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this is what you would expect, uh, my, my guess is. But they are not imperfect enough so that everybody or, or uh, you know, every, that, so that it's, it's alarming to the society suddenly. Um, having said that, both Bud Hopkins and I have received thousands, this is not a hyperbole, thousands and thousands of letters and emails from people who have had abduction experiences. Uh, so, because polls are always problematic, and, mm-hmm. and uh, we took a poll in 1991 that that uh, uh, suggested maybe two percent of the American public uh, had been uh, uh, abducted, and uh, and people say, well, that poll was wrong for this reason, that reason, and there are other polls mm-hmm. that come out and verified it, and other polls came out and said no, it's less, and more people said well, it's more, and all that. But so the point is, though, that we've already heard from. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people, yeah. and each one of those people represents X number of others who yeah. didn't write to us, you know, and mm-hmm. all that. So uh, we know that the phenomenon is widespread in the United States and Canada and Latin America and Africa and Asia and everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a global phenomenon. The United States does not have a mark, uh, a corner on the abduction market. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's. Yeah. I, I get emails from around the world now uh, because I can, and 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 it doesn't matter where people are; they they're abducted, and they're all saying the same things. Mm-hmm. I actually had a question related to that, um, which was: um, Are kind of abduction occurrences seemingly more prevalent among certain cultures or geographical regions? And if so, is that just because people don't come forward, or? Are there more, you know, points of contacts with certain types of people? Yes and no. Now, uh, you're going to have to remind me what these questions are again, because uh, 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 I have no memory and it's getting late for me. I'm, I'm getting tired, so you'll have to remind me about these things. But in terms of, of, of who... What was the question? Who... who, who Mainly... Um, call, who tells... Are they basically um, abduction occurrences? Are they more prevalent among certain cultures or countries? Right. The answer is no. And here's how this works. The answer is yes and no. It's it's a complicated question. It's a complicated answer, too. Mm -hmm. People come rushing up to me, grab me by the lapels, put their face in mine, and they say, you know, I live in this little city in, uh, in, in Arkansas or Texas or California or New York or whatever it is, and it's a hotbed of UFO sightings, a hotbed of UFO. If I had a nickel for every time I heard the phrase hotbed of UFO sightings, you know, it's, every place seems to be a hotbed of UFO sightings for people who are interested in the subject. Yeah. And... I've often wondered about that. Why is that? Because we know that UFO behavior, of which there is no such thing, there's only beings inside who are operating these things, that, that, that the abduction phenomenon is amazingly widespread. Mm-hmm. It is intergenerational. Now, the yeah. way it's intergenerational is, and to come around full circle to the answer to this question, is that... An abductee marries a non-abductee and has two kids. Both those kids will be abductees. Mm-hmm. Wow. Those kids don't know that they're abductees, although they live weird lives. Yeah. And um, 
they get married to or whoever they fall in love with, and they have a couple of kids. And so the original abductee has already made six kids, six abductees. Yeah. Now, supposing you live in a small village in Argentina, and I'm saying this for a specific okay, reason yeah. because this, what happens is is that the abduction phenomenon spreads throughout the township and the limits of the township and around there, and mm-hmm. then you get a lot of people being abducted, and then you get the opportunity to see more UFOs, mm-hmm. although you shouldn't be seeing UFOs at all, which is another question altogether. What, not what do people see when they see UFOs, but why do they see UFOs yeah. if this is a clandestine phenomenon? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it becomes a hotbed of UFO sightings. And I think to myself, there's probably a lot of abductees in that area. The people are marrying their high school sweethearts and this and that who live in the, you know, living in the same... So, um, uh, so... Having said that, it it doesn't spread to any culture or society um, uh, by determination. It's, it spreads by accident, that, yeah. in a way. In other words, people have told me that early on how they get these ideas. I had no idea. Only uh, American Indians uh, are abducted. People with American Indian blood, and my, the answer is, what? What are you? Mm-hmm. What? That's the answer. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and people have told me, only people of royal blood, who have royal blood in them in some way, because, you know, if you go back far enough, you're going to be, a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a tenth cousin to the Queen of England. Um, um, the answer is, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the same thing with people told me, once somebody told me that, that the Irish were, you had to have Irish blood on you before you, and, and, and uh, it's, Anybody and everybody is completely at random across all things, as I said before. It does not matter because people get married to people they meet at random mm-hmm. and uh, oftentimes. And so, it, you know, and it spreads that way. It spreads throughout the society. And it's relatively, unless you live in an unbelievably insulated area uh, where a lot of people are going to be hybrid. I'm sorry, a lot of people are going to be abductees. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's anybody and everybody, and they all say the same thing. It doesn't matter. Uh, so there is the answer is not really or uh, no. Okay. No, people are not. Uh, they're not. There's no sort of separation out from people who will get abducted and people who won't get abducted, except if your mother or your father was an abductee. Wow. Uh, Dr. David Jacobs, I want to thank you so much for your time. You're going to be speaking at the Contact in the Desert Conference um, that takes place at the Joshua Tree Retreat Center from August 8th to the 11th. Why don't you tell people briefly uh, what are some of the things you're going to be cover, uh, covering there and what can they expect to hear from you? Well, it's important to understand that I will not actually be there. I will be about through, there through the magic of Skype. Oh, okay. So the wonders of technology, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> exactly. The wonders of technology. I don't quite know what I'll be talking about yet. I always have a presentation which I call New Findings in the Abduction Research. But, um, in fact, uh, uh, I haven't sorted that out yet. I got an email today saying, send me any pictures that you have. And I thought, oh, that's right. I have to do this next week. And <laughs> I'll, I'll figure it out. Uh, I'm not sure whether I'm talking on the 9th or the 10th. I think it's the 9th uh, of sa- uh, on Saturday. Okay. Um, uh, um, but... Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Didn't mean to uh, interrupt. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's. Uh, I also wanted to to um, to um, ask you where can people get your books? Uh, did they just go to your website? 
They can, and they can click through to Amazon, but all my books are, I don't sell them, and so they're, they're available on Amazon.com. Uh, they're, they're still in The Threat and Secret Life and are still in print. And there's an edited book that I did called UFOs Examining, uh, Challenging the Borders of Knowledge, which is uh, 10, 10 authors uh, who wrote original uh, uh, articles for uh, about the UFOs and abductions for the book. Um, okay. But um, uh, the books, uh, it, it's, it's an interesting subject, and it becomes more interesting once you learn a, a lot about it. There's an awful lot of people out there who who are sort of ha- have a new age take on it, or have a pair this sort of very mysterious contact world, and uh, and they're contacting people for reasons and things like mm-hmm. that. You want to be a little bit careful with all that kind of stuff. Uh, the abduction phenomenon is strange enough as it is, mm-hmm. and yet it's so amazingly severely logical. That it is—it's kind of breathtaking, and it, uh, I, I have not found any any kind of new age elements involved with it whatsoever. I don't even consider it to be paranormal, as I'll be writing in my book. I, I consider oh, wow. it to be something else altogether. And uh, uh, so, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Doctor uh, Jacobs. Uh, we really appreciate you being so generous with your time and, and sharing all this great information. And uh, again, to uh, for more information on Doctor Jacobs, they can visit your website. Correct, uh, ufoabduction.com. Yes, and that's just uh, UFO abduction one. Uh, no, no s. It's not plural. Just ufoabduction.com. And um, there'll be some grandiose International Center for Abduction Research uh, title there. <laughs> and uh, there was an international site. It happened at one time, but uh, people sort of drifted away, and, and uh, now it's just me. Ah, I see. So, when people write to the International Center, uh, just remember, it's just me and my computer. <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely uh, staffed by the best, I must say. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Jacobs, and, and we hope to much. have you back on the show sometime in the near future. Uh, well, thank you both for having me. I appreciate it. Take I care. I appreciate it very much. Right. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Dr. Uh, David Jacobs, uh, again, a great, uh, a great gentleman with a lot of great information. Uh, we're going to take a, a really short break because mm-hmm. we still have another hour to go. And, and our guest Lots for the next hour, oh yeah, our <laughs> guest for the next hour is going to be none other than Laura Eisenhower. Really excited to have her on as well. We're going to play a quick song, kind of just get ourselves uh, back in... in uh, back in form here uh, because uh, this was a very interesting and fascinating uh, I know, I'm kind of bummed we had to cut it short I mean yeah. like, I had like five questions for every one that was asked I know no it's I mean and like I said hopefully we can have them back on the show because uh, there is a lot of things to talk about it, 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 you're right every answer just gave way to a lot more questions yeah. and he definitely seems to be the, the, the guy you want to talk to <laughs> about this kind of stuff so uh, don't go away West of the Rockies is coming right up here uh Genevieve is here. I'm here. We're going to get Laura Eisenhower on, on the phone here and uh, talk to her in just a few minutes. In the meantime, enjoy this song. Uh, let's play a little bit of this. Here we go. Bust of the Rockies coming right back. Sugar man, won't you hurry? Cause I'm tired of these scenes For a blue 
fun Won't you bring back All those colors to my dreams Silver magic ships you carry Jumpers, Coke, Sweet Mary Jane Black hole Silver magic ships You carry Jumpers, Coke Sweet Mary Jane Sugar man You're the answer That makes my questions Disappear Sugar man Cause I'm This is Jorge Diaz of Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones. And you're listening to West of the Rockies with Frank. This portion of the show is sponsored by Haunted Orange County, your premier source for all things haunted in and around OC. From haunted history ghost walks to ghost group hunting expeditions at some of SoCal's most haunted destinations. Make your fall plans early and book an upcoming tour or investigation today. Visit hauntedoc.com. 
And we're back to the second hour of uh, West of the Rockies. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late. Uh, again, big thanks to uh, Dr. David Jacobs for uh, being our guest in the first hour. Right now, we're going to get uh, Laura Eisenhower on the Skype machine, and we're going to get uh, her to tell us a little bit uh, about some of the things that she's going to be talking about. And we just had some guests pop in. We got none other than uh, Mr. Ernie Alonso of Haunted Orange County, along with uh, Jorge Diaz, who you just heard the little bumper there with some creepy music. Uh, Jorge, you uh, will remember him from uh, Paranormal Activity. Yeah, they just poof. <laughs> and of course, our good buddy Steve. Steve is in the house. So Ernie, what's, what's cracking? What's up, guys? Um, glad you can squeeze us in for a second here. Um, well, I want to talk about our event, which is going to be next Saturday at Heritage Square Museum. We're going to have uh, our special guest investigators will be Dana Workman with Sci-Fi Channel's Haunted, His Haunted, uh, Haunted Highway. And then we're also going to have Ben Hansen with Sci-Fi's uh, Factor Faked. Then our special, another special guest we're going to have is Mr. Jorge Diaz, who's right here. And, um, Jorge is actually um, kind of new to ghost hunting. Yes, and yeah. I'm really excited. But um, we, uh, we we did actually we all got a chance to investigate once in Santa Ana, in Orange, downtown Orange together. So uh, he's going to be joining us on the hunt. Um, it's from seven to one a.m. Um, tickets, you can get those at hauntedoc.com. Uh, we have general admission tickets for $65, and then the uh, VIP tickets are $85. Um, that's going to include uh, admission to the VIP tent. We're going to have snacks, uh, wine, and um, a meet and greet that's going to happen right before the event actually starts. Nothing Very like cool. drunk ghost hunting. Oh, you know, exactly. <laughs> right. Well, the places are actually really haunted. I had friends that have gone there like mm -hmm. several and times. And they they just never reappeared. Yeah, they have, <laughs> never like, they, have, they have great stories from there, so I'm excited. Well, it definitely sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. So if, uh, if, if people are planning on being here in Southern California or live in Southern California and are looking for something really fun and interesting, definitely check out HauntedOrangeCounty.com, get their tickets, and uh, definitely go to this event. I was there last year, and let me tell you, it was, it was some, some really creepy, spooky fun <laughs> going on. So uh, thank you, Ernie. And uh, we're going to... Uh, switch the microphones here to uh, uh, our next guest, and uh, I'm going to introduce her uh, briefly here, if I may uh, steal some time from the listeners. Our next guest is uh, Laura Eisenhower. She's an intuitive astrologist, global alchemist, and a cosmic mythologist. And if that wasn't enough, she's also the great-granddaughter of uh, the 34th president of the U.S., Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, she's also a whistle whistleblower, uh, she has been able to uncover some necessary truths and agendas that humanity is being kept in the dark about. Uh, she does lectures, workshops on these issues, and obviously, uh, I've been dying to have her on the show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty much like the bottom line. So uh, if uh, technology is on our favor, we should have uh, Laura Eisenhower. Laura, can you hear me okay? Yes, good Thank to be here. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. I really appreciate it. I'm going to adjust some levels here briefly. I want to thank you so much for uh, uh, taking some time tonight. I know it's late, but you have a lot of interesting information uh, that I would like to talk to you about. And obviously, you know, you're going to be at this conference, Contact in the Desert, next weekend. And it sounds like it's going to be a really fascinating uh, weekend. It seems the focus of this particular conference is it, it's with aliens and UFOs, and obviously your your great grandfather there 
are many stories that he was actually in contact or had some meetings with with alien entities um i know it's, it seems kind of sudden to jump into the water with uh, such a heavy topic like that but can do you think we can start from there and work our way up to to the present day and what you do yeah well um it's you know pretty interesting because there's so much um so many different layers and so many uh different things to share i wouldn't even know where to begin but when we look at um our ancient history i mean really all this originates with the anunnaki and the fact that we've moved into a lower density a lower vibration as a planetary body and pretty much from that point on we were um subject to a lot of manipulation due to being very vulnerable and you know going through these life and death cycles with uh, amnesia upon arrival each time it's been pretty easy for us to be taken advantage of and so um different races of beings have interacted with our governments uh pretty much starting in terms that we can understand as far as the presidency in the United States uh around the time of Roosevelt administration during um um the the time period that Hitler was also approached mm. and they were both approached by Nordics and Greys and both turned the Nordics down uh for alien technology exchanges with the Greys Wow. And this set up the three-letter organizations that we hear about. It set up MJ-12 and all these different things that Eisenhower ended up, um, you know, dealing with when he went from being a general to becoming president. So after the Second World War, he was really taken under Rockefeller's wing. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the term. Right. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> um, bat wing. I don't know. Um, and... Uh, you know, convinced to become president. And at the time, he didn't really know, I think, a lot about the shadow government to the level that um, he knew upon leaving office, which is why he gave us the warning about the military-industrial complex. Right, and actually, right. um, he uh, put a time capsule in the Gettysburg farm revealing a lot of information that he found out. Now, if we were an Illuminati family, that would be a different matter because he would have known about the shadow government. But I can safely say, after being raised in this family... You know, pretty much ready to be a whistleblower about, you know, the Illuminati Eisenhower family if I needed to, but noticing that there was none of that ever. Um, and it wasn't like I was looking out for it from an early age, but when I found out about all this stuff, I'm like, well, what about the Eisenhower family? What if, you know, all sorts of weirdness is going on, like, you know, in all these other families that are high profile in politics and government? Right. And, and, and there's nothing. There's nothing like that. There's no huge trust funds. There's no um, weirdness like that. And it's actually a very down to earth family filled with love even though i do a lot of weird stuff um i'm very accepted and loved in the family and so these rumors were never talked about though and i always brought it up and it's like okay i mean i know i'm jumping around a little bit but by the time eisenhower stepped into office these treaties had already been in the works like i said it originated with roosevelt and these treaties are renewed every 10 years so in oh, 1954 wow. eisenhower had a meeting mm -hmm. and at this point though um there's a lot more going on than simply being able to say, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to work with you. Um, he had advisors and others around him that had a lot of say in the matter uh, that made it very difficult. And um, and so he set up something, which I'll talk about in a little bit because I know this is the first question. Um, I found out a lot about the military-industrial complex in the deepest of layers because I was recruited in 2006 to go off-planet, which connects to these treaties and wow. also alternatives one, two, and three and the different things going on um, to establish an artificial timeline, even though at first 
that wasn't the original intent, or at least the ones that were in agreement to it. So here I am, I'm raising this family, um, very empathic, not very into you know running for office or being groomed into that role because everybody just is who they are in our family. There's no pressure. I mean, except for you know just hoping that everybody's going to be happy and okay. Right. Most of my cousins and you know sisters, uh, two sisters, aren't in politics. I mean, they're artists or you know musicians. And uh, I'm the only one that's really kind of taken on, you know, okay, what is this all about? What are the secrets? What, what is the shadow government? What are these treaties? And I've always had my attention on the ET aspect of it all and how it connects with our ancient history and the deeper mythologies um, that connect to, um, you know, some of the stories about the archetypal um, aspects of creation and how that links to these ET races and also our ascension which is our expansion into higher earth energies. And so I've worked really hard at connecting all the dots on multiple levels. And that's really what I do is try and uh, incorporate what everybody's sharing and finding that common thread so it can begin to make sense in a holistic way so that we don't feel like it's all outside of us and something that we can't contend with. And so I just work on empowering the individual to know the truth, but also to know what we're truly made of and what our potential is and why we've been targeted. That is, honestly, that's probably one of the, the most profound, deepest answers I, I've gotten, and I want to thank you for that because, you know, one of the questions that I have, like many people, is where do these alien entities come from? Are we dealing with actual extraterrestrial entities? Are we dealing with, uh, you know, interdimensional entities? Um, can you, what can you tell me about that? What is their origin and what is their purpose uh, as far yeah. as their interactions with us? Yeah, that's a very vast um, answer that I would be giving if... Um I had hours. <laughs> so, so to try and uh, uh, summarize it, based on research and my own experiences and just, uh, you know, really paying attention and listening um, and just my own inner journeys and all of that, what I've uh, come to understand is that, you know, we have that source energy, uh, the central universe where all these other universes um, ended up stemming off from, you know, like uh, branches. And this particular universe is a free will universe. Not all of them are free will universes. And um, in this free will universe, you know, we have the Trinity, the Godhead, and, um, you know, that might challenge people, but it's basically source energy, and it's got the qualities of the masculine and feminine, and then, um, you know, what emerges from that. And that could be considered Christ consciousness, it could be considered the magical child type energy, um, and it's a Trinity, but it's not in the religious, you know, way. Religion distorts the truth, but uses the truth just enough to get our attention to awaken our cellular memory to these different codes and these different symbols, but then twists it to disempower us and to, you know, keep us dumbed down. Wow. So, right. basically, um, founder races emerged out of this energy matrix, which uh, is like the light source. Um, and it's known as Akasha, and it also includes a womb. Um, in the Kabbalistic understanding, it's called Ein, Ein Sof and Ein Sof Or, and it's basically where the light ended up uh, going into, like... Um, darkness as like the womb and then created creation and from there came the founder races which are highly advanced et beings um angelic beings and from there they seeded life in the time matrix uh starting in lyra and so um these three different founder races one called brahman one called seraphim and the other called the elohim um you know were just seeding life but because of free will the masculine and feminine started to split there started to be 
the formation of ego, which is what happens when you have free will because you can start to say, hey, well, what can I do? There's curiosity. There's all sorts of things that start to happen. Anyway, the seraphim are the first fallen race, and they're connected with, in sort of a different terminology, the Lucifer Rebellion. Right, and I was going to say, it sounds like the, uh, you know, when, when in the Bible it says that God casts out, a, you know, Lucifer and a third of the angels, right? Right, and, but, but, and, and what's interesting is all these stories connect, which is what I've been working on, is, okay, here's galactic history information, here's sort of religious information, and here's sort of mythological information. There's got to be some common ground here if it's all stemming from the origins of our creation. And so the fallen seraphim um, are considered to be connected to uh, Lucifer, and the fallen seraphim are the dragon lines, but ended up mm -hmm. digressing into reptilian form. Wow. And yes, there was sort of the, like the, the, this casting out. And because the negative ego was born, it basically opened up um, a portal into bringing in a warring race, which are the Dracos, that ended up invading this universe. And so when you think about it, unity of the masculine and feminine create uh, like the magical child or the Christ consciousness, which is a miracle vibration. Disunity creates the negative ego, which one can say is like Lucifer. And that's how we can understand it within ourselves so that we can begin to take charge and not be at the mercy of everything going on outside of us. Because we enable these things when we slip into those patterns and people act like, you know, pretty dark. Mm -hmm. So um, the fallen seraphim then led to the fallen Elohim, which led to uh, the Anunnaki. Um, but the Anunnaki didn't get created until the time matrix almost got destroyed by these wars between the seraphim and the um, Elohim. And these are different levels of it, not, not the highest vibration of it, because things get stepped down. There's, this is a 15-dimensional universe. Um, and so because things almost got destroyed, they decided to seed a higher race of beings that actually took DNA from the energy matrix, which is what we are, you know, holding the potential to become like gods. And that's, you know almost sounds like you know people could misuse that and get all arrogant about it and some people have but we have to understand it in the real sense of the word it gives us a potential that's pretty extraordinary and so these rebelling fallen races got really jealous and pissed off that this other race you know had been created and it was basically to save the time matrix and to give us a potential that would not lead to our destruction and what led to you know almost our destruction was all the hybridization their weapon has been to interbreed and to spread their genetics and to spread their ideologies and to basically enslave and they've done that you know before earth became what we know of it as it is now but just to kind of make a really long story short so the orphan was created and in response to that the anunnaki not all anunnaki are bad because the anunnaki basically means they came from heaven mm -hmm. or they came you know from above um but there are negative factions like the luciferian faction and it's very much um you know about control and uh they traded in their dna so that they would never be able to heal their race line but uh they did do attempts to heal that race line by merging the reptilian dna with the orifim dna which is this higher race and this is how the illuminati started because basically what they're trying to do through trauma-based mind control is keep that reptilian dna alive and and discard that higher um potential through controlling it through splitting those people and person so much that they form this secret government that's basically run by the reptilians wow. who are aware that, you know, they could be a very advanced race that could help. But that also creates that elitist mentality, which throws things out of whack as well. But actually, all of us are considered a part of that divine human heritage. And that's what the 12 tribes are. And so when Atlantis and Lemuria, the original ones, sank and the earth became more densified in this lower density of life, death, and just sort of this duality, the four elements, um, mm -hmm. 
we then got launched on a soul journey in order to learn how to return home. And in this process, we've had those same Anunnaki, Luciferian faction, and fallen angelics, and then the fallen Elohim who joined in that became the fallen watchers that are connected to Genesis and more biblical stuff. And, you know, there was a whole creation before Genesis that was pre-Adamic, Adamic, that was a time where the earth almost got completely wiped out. In the time of Genesis, it was a time of renewal, but that was when the tree of good and evil got established. And basically, ever since then, we've been dealing with the free will choice to either, you know, get enslaved, get stuck in 3D existence, become an enabler to these dark agendas, or become so ignorant and oblivious that we don't recognize we're being controlled, or we have the opportunity to awaken our DNA and advance it. And the reason we go through the life-death cycle is so that we can slowly ascend, because when we had the ability to not need to die and come back, mm-hmm. you know, we, we became a fallen race because of all this hybridization and all this attack. So now we're in a very precarious situation because through the trials and turbulations of life and death and duality and being manipulated and being taken advantage of, which is not a fair process when you think about it, um, you know, we're up against a lot and it's pushing us to the edge. And so the governments are working with the, the more negative beings, but there's been plenty of benevolent beings that have also made contact and Eisenhower made contact with them. And uh, those are the beings from Venus. And then, you know, there's others. And he actually set up something um, in the U.S. Marine Corps special section is what it's called to create um, something that would keep the MJ-12 people in check wow. and basically make sure that they didn't completely destroy everything and uh captain k and um has come forward now who's a part of special section who is doing the disclosure and he's under legal authority because things have gotten so bad that they're legally allowed to disclose everything and so i have direct access to him and he'll pretty much answer any question i have he's getting more public Mm -hmm. but eisenhower set this up when he recognized that these treaties were working to get us off planet to mars to then create new world order and that's when he freaked out and, and, and created this special section that is very secretive. Not many people have ever heard of it. But it's a benevolent super soldier program that works with the cancer-fighting ETs, the ones that are trying to heal the universe, and basically um, programs them, not through trauma-based mind control, but programs them to be on a spiritual path and to understand the real truth and then to disclose it. So he set this up in the 1950s, and now Captain Case come forward. He reached out to me and he said, hey, if it wasn't for Ike, you know, I wouldn't be alive or I would be mm-hmm. in one of those trauma-based mind control programs. So he didn't just warn us. He actually set something up that I just found out about. Wow. But we're dealing with about 54 different species, some incredibly benevolent and others are more parasitic and more, you know, not out for our good. But we have to look at it and the whole earth like an organism. When it's out of balance, we're easily attacked and manipulated and it's easy for parasites to, you know run the show but when we're in balance when we recognize you know the rebalancing the masculine and feminine and we truly understand our galactic history and our origins and we reclaim our galactic consciousness just like the immune system that gets boosted in a body that changes its habits and has a better diet all the benevolent forces are much more easily accessible for us but we have to take that first step wow now let me ask you this what what, what is the the difference between the the these uh, entities from venus and the grays it seems like the the this race from venus and correct me if i'm wrong is this the same race that you know george adamski claimed to to be in contact with they seem to be a little bit more looking out for us and our well-being whereas the grays uh they're a, a little bit more malevolent it seems they have a somewhat more nefarious uh, uh you know uh uh goals it seems 
Right. Greys are basically a product of a lot of different engineering that took place by the reptilians. Um, they're basically like slaves to the reptilians, but there's many different types of greys. So this is, you know, one particular one, and I would say, you know, this is the Zetas. And basically, uh, Apex was a planet that became the Zetas. The Zeta Reticulum it actually moved um, its place in the cosmos because of nuclear wars and all sorts of things, and things that played out there that are actually playing out here. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening is the beings went underground, lost their reproductive abilities, lost their ability... Um, to do all sorts of things and then ended up digressing into these gray forms and ended up using cloning technologies to reproduce because they couldn't reproduce anymore. And so they ended up becoming, you know, the Zetas. And um, originally, the reason that Apex got so out of control was because they got infiltrated by the Dracos, which is what they do. And once the Dracos infiltrate a planet, basically you're you're pretty much set up to become a gray. And mm. remote viewers have found that the grays that have related to our governments... Mm-hmm. Dan Burrish, uh specifically has said that they're future human selves that have time traveled back. And the reason they do abduction is because they need our genetic material. Because in the future, the timeline that they've been on has actually destroyed their capacity to reproduce because they either went into underground bases or went off planet. And so they're future human selves coming back to try and rehabil- rehabilitate their race. So even Eisenhower was wow. presented with this where they said, we're a dying species, we're a dying race, we need your help. And the treaty was based on this, but they broke the treaty because the reptilians are the ones that are really running the show. And we got to kind of have compassion for some of the greys because they digress. We could become greys, mm-hmm. you know, if we go down this path. But say we did have to go underground, we could also be like the beings under Talos, you know, highly advanced, you know, um, higher dimensional beings that don't digress into the grey form. It really depends on how strong we are in our consciousness and how we stay strong, you know, in our soul because basically these beings want to siphon our soul energy they want to completely take us over they want us to lose our sense of emotion and that's how things turn into grays the whites the tall whites mm-hmm. are basically uh engineered nordics that ended up becoming like grays but they're tall because they're part nordic and so grays are normally either uh digressed human forms you know that ended up getting big heads and big eyes based on being underground mm-hmm. or they are um future human selves or their EBEs and they're basically automations and they're just kind of run through a hive mind sort of computer artificial intelligence system. And I'm sure there's more than that. I mean, we're dealing with a lot of different species with the same name. There's about seven different species of reptilian and certainly not all of them are negative. It's only really a small group that are negative. It's just, it's got a hold on humanity because humanity has amnesia every time it's born. And we're born into a system that they've been able to socially engineer to completely have us give our power away we buy into all these programmings and all the false flags in the news Mm -hmm. and all the Mm -hmm. pollution in our environment keeps us completely like under their control which could lead to us becoming like the greys but we do not have to go down that road um now you said that this treaty or treaties uh, they get renewed every 10 years could that possibly, uh, you know, I've been, I've been following this, this particular uh, uh, topic since I was a kid. And, you know, over the years you see how, how it changes, you know, uh, as far as everything from sightings to abductions and, and all of these things. I know that one of the, the, the first treaties, at least that I, I remember reading, was the one obviously with, with President Eisenhower, and it was that exchange of technology uh, in exchange for, um, you know, the ability to, to experiment on humans. And 
we have seen how abductions have changed over the years. Can you tell me what are some of these other changes to the treaty? Do you know when they renew it, what gets added, what gets taken away? I'm not really sure. And most of the treaties are BS anyway. I mean, a lot of the whistleblowers said it wasn't even a treaty. It was more about surrender because they had oh, weapons wow. that we didn't have. And basically because of Project Paperclip after the Second World War, mm -hmm. they're, they're funneling in all these Nazi scientists and doctors. They whitewashed right. so many of their names. So Truman didn't even realize they were Nazis because that was during um, Truman's administration. So mm -hmm. then you have the MJ-12, you have the Jason Scholars and all these things handling you know, what is the future of the human race? And so that's when they developed Alternatives 1, 2, and 3. So a lot of the treaties in those years had a lot to do with the um, the setting up of these colonies and the technology exchanges that had to do with cloning. Hitler got, or the Nazis got different technologies than the U.S. government. Uh, the Nazis got more the mind control technology, and the U.S. government got things connected more to metals, alloys, free energy, Um, but not free energy in the way that like we could totally utilize, but um, anti-gravity devices and things like that. Mm -hmm. The free energy part got pretty much hijacked immediately. Um, and so, you know, during that time, you're dealing with some pretty egoic people, like ego-driven people. The planet's not in alignment with the galactic core. People aren't very conscious because of that. So most of the decisions being made were more about defense, you know, war, having more toys than the other. So nobody was thinking about the great idea from the Nordics because everybody's in the middle of this war. And when you look at the players in the deeper, deeper levels of the shadow government who orchestrate these wars, mm -hmm. they're not on either side. They're playing, you know, the game where they create these different sides so that we stay conquered and divided right. and we have historical resentments. And basically the Jews were targeted because the ancient Hebrews carried the codes to help activate us into the next wave of ascension. We all wow. have to share our codes. It's not like they were the chosen ones or anything, mm -hmm. but... We, you know, I don't know, I mean, we're all different mixes, I don't even know, like, fully, like, who's who and what's what, because it doesn't matter, because consciousness is way more important, but there is something about this particular timeline, since the time that the second Atlantis fell, that we would ascend, and because we're on an ascending planet, this is an ascending planet, that we would be sharing codes. So, just to get back to your question, um, the treaties, in the earlier years, had a lot more to do with creating artificial timelines, that would use these technologies pretty much by the dark forces and in and, and secrecy in underground bases on a level that anybody in the outer government wouldn't even really be aware of, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're very much used to kind of play that game or make the agreements, but they got a lot behind them that's kind of pushing them. So Eisenhower came into office. We hear about that more than anything else. Right. By the time he came into office, the treaty had a lot more to do with abductions, mm -hmm. I, I imagine, but... If you read about or, or study about the time of Roosevelt and actually what happened before that, the um, abductions were decided or that exchange happened with Churchill, Crowley, and Hitler. Oh, and wow. You would, yeah, you would think that Churchill wasn't involved with, you know, Crowley and Hitler. The Crowley-Hitler, Alistair Crowley, makes a little more sense, but Churchill? Yeah, yeah Churchill, yeah, of all people, right? Sir Winston. And Lisa, yeah. <laughs> and Lisa Renee, EnergeticSynthesis.com, talks a lot about this, and she's you know de deals with the Guardian races and you know, the most benevolent beings, and she just puts out amazing work. So, you know, when Eisenhower uh, was in office, these treaties had to do with, um, you know, abducting cattle and abducting a few humans that they promised they would return and they would mm -hmm. do no harm to them, but they needed some genetic material for certain experiments. And, um, you know, they promised they wouldn't harm anybody as long as, you know, things were kept quiet. Well, I, I, I heard Eisenhower didn't like that at all. And, um, and basically was on the side of the Nordics, but got shut down. 
And it later led to um, Valiant Thor and the beings from Venus showing up, offering a new idea. You know, basically like, okay, well, you know, these treaties keep getting renewed. And yes, they got renewed again in 64 and probably 74, 84. I'm sure they got renewed in 2000, you know, in, in, in the years that are more recent. Mm-hmm. But they are kind of BS because whether there's treaties or not, we're, we're talking about infiltration that happened, you know, in the time of... Uh, 26,000 years ago and 26,000 years ago very negative technologies got put in place to prevent our our DNA from being able to advance itself they put frequency fences in and all sorts of things to prevent our ability to ascend so these treaties are kind of like almost a placeholder to sort of create the excuse of why we're where we are like oh well the governments are working in collaboration with them but most of the people in the government are either clones they're either possessed or you get a few that are trying to speak out and they get assassinated, like Kennedy wow. or like Eisenhower. He puts it down a warning and basically, um, you know, then leaves office. He had eight heart attacks. He was not happy with the, th- the way things went. Wow. Actually, Richard Dolan interviewed somebody named Anonymous. You can easily find it on YouTube. And the guy who was on his deathbed said that Eisenhower was completely flipped out about what was happening with the alien technology and how they weren't going about any of this the right way and he wanted to invade area 51 oh, and he wow. got shut down because area 51 is like an indian reservation it's got its own laws it's almost like really? it's not even part of the united states it's like it doesn't function with any laws and then you've got dulce and uh-huh. the dulce wars right so this is like something that is not in the hands of a president to be able to say yes or no to it goes so much deeper than that and that's why he set up the united states through the United States Marine Corps, the special section group, to keep an eye on things. Because when you're president, you can't handle all this extra political stuff. You're here to, you know, balance the budget, mm-hmm. you know, do your thing. And then all of a sudden, he's getting sucked into this exopolitical world, right. you know, based on the deeper origins of why the Second World War, the First World War, the Civil War, anything that's ever happened under the sun that has led to battles, wars, and injustices in our humanity, which is all related to off-planet entities working, you know, through humans, and those that they don't work through try and speak up, like I said, and then, you know, they don't get away with it very easily. Um, can I just butt in and ask, um, I'm not sure if I've missed this, but what is or would be the purpose of kind of keeping us restricted and dumbed down? I mean, is it just for the sake of power or using us for some ulterior, you know, further motive, using us as slaves? You know, what's the reason for keeping us restricted in this way? It's pretty much that. And when you think about rebellion, you know, and a free will universe, it's like once you get ego, you get the negative mm-hmm. ego. You know, to have a healthy ego is a huge feat for any human to be able to, you know, accomplish. Like, oh, integrity, balance, um, service to others. When you're, see- when you're dealing with service to self-beings, you know, who want to compete with, I guess you could say the divine plan or, you know, us being sovereign beings, you know, they get so bent on greed and power and control that, you know, I mean, that's why they digress to these reptilian forms. They're basically, like, demonic. So, um, and it's not really Lucifer anymore. It's all the different beings that fell and kind of joined in with all that. I mean, these are creative archetypal energies that we all have within us. It gets kind of complicated. I don't know how to really explain that part. Mm-hmm. But it is. I mean, if you think of a parasite or a cancer, it doesn't really have morals. All it does is want to destroy. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with these entities that split off from source a long time ago they're pretty much cut off and they don't know how to reconnect because if they were to reconnect, they would have to pay a lot of karmic retribution. They would have to really come into balance and redeem themselves, which they could easily do, really. 
I mean, we're not dealing with a judgmental God. We're dealing with cosmic laws, natural laws, and the laws of physics. You know, we, we tend to, it's the lower creator gods and the Anunnaki and the archons that kind of play that role and create these sort of biblical things about punishment. And that's all a part of the deception and manipulation. But because they cut, cut themselves off from the true source, you know, beyond these lower creator gods, but more just the power of love and wisdom in the universe that runs everything that we all come from, they instead feed on people. They need that life force. That's why they siphon kundalini, they siphon souls, they, you know, basically feed like a parasite would. So in the larger picture, it's no different than what we see with the laws of the physical body when it's out of balance. And so all it knows is to do that. But when you look at the larger picture, consciousness or, you know, some of these beings that have been around since the beginning, they know that it's also... It's a part of um, an organism to have to be pushed to the edge in order to wake up or to, in order to make a huge transformation or change. And this is what we're dealing with. They only know how to play the evil role, but in the larger picture, the reason that we're playing this out and something hasn't completely intervened or destroyed all of us to start over again is because through the lessons of duality, we're able to see who we're not until we get so sick of it that we start to embrace who we truly are and what we're made of which then starts the activation process of our DNA. And because we're in a period right now where the natural stargates are opening, which connect to our DNA, we are in a very powerful window period. But that's extremely threatening to them. So some are going to join in and say, I give up. I give up the desire for control. And others are going to hold on for dear life until um, you know, they either get knocked off uh, that ability to do so or there's a bifurcation and, and they're basically able to run a prison pa- planet through transhumanism or artificial intelligence systems. Wow. Because you can't function organically based on that mentality without using technology as a means for survival, which is what they do. They can't ascend. So technology is their lifeline to keep their races alive. And that's why these greys time travel back, but they also utilize time travel technology, quantum access technology. The reason we're being sprayed with chemtrails and there's nanoparticles, you know, wanting to plug us into an artificial intelligence system is because it keeps the parasites able to get their food from us, which is our fear. Um, We give our power away. We give, you know, our belief systems. And they set it up in the news so that we, you know, gladly hand it over. You can't take somebody's free will away, but you can manipulate them out of it. You know, by putting enough propaganda in the news where people believe there's a war on terror and are in agreement to things like, you know, martial law. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of humanity keeps nodding its head at things like TSA at the airports. They don't question things like 9-11, but a lot of people are starting to question all of it. But it's all, that's the reason why there's all this crap in the media and in the entertainment industries is because it keeps us hooked in. It's like bait. But none of these agendas will work on anybody who, who have woken up to the programming. Once you wake up to the programming... They can't, they have nothing on you. The chemtrails don't have as big an effect on you because once you wake up, your energy and your vibration starts to raise in frequency. You start to shift. You start to really heal. And then they don't have anything to put their hooks into. But they want to because they want, they're parasites. But there's another agenda. There's two controller groups. The other agenda wants us to be completely wiped out and to exterminate us and to at least thin us down to a point of where they can control it and decide who stays and who goes based on the bloodlines they choose to pick and what they would like to see happen. They're completely and totally trying to play gods, and it's not based on integrity or spirituality. It's just based on, you know, whatever it is that, you know, enables them to stay corrupt. Uh, Laura, uh, to shift gears a little bit, because there's another topic that I'm I'm very fascinated with that that you have talked about, and it's, I mean, it's really funny. I I always say that time will uh, validate uh, a lot of the people that, 
come out and talk about the truth. One of the things that you have talked about is Mars. And I remember a, a few years ago watching a, a YouTube interview where you discussed Mars a, along with a, another gentleman by the name of Andrew Basciago. And, uh, you know, it, it was a very, a, a very enlightening interview. Uh, you know, you talked about these colonies on Mars. And at the time, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but at the time, I, I know a lot of people thought that it was crazy. Here we are, 2014, travel to Mars seems to be totally uh, feasible. There's even, I believe, some uh, uh, independent company that, that's recruiting people to go to Mars. Uh, what can you tell me about Mars? What's going on in Mars? Was there an ancient civilization on Mars? Have we been to Mars? Uh, what, And uh, what more do you importantly, what, what happened to you as well? Right. Well, yeah, Mars has quite a history, and a lot of the beings on Mars are still recovering from what happened to their planet. I mean, the life got pretty much blown off of it. The asteroid belt's basically an exploded planet, and uh, people believe it's Maldek. Other people, you know, believe it's a portion of Tiamat, which is an ancient planet that is connected to the dragon queens and the goddess. Um, so when you look at the asteroids, you've got Vesta, you've got Juno, you've got Eros, you've got, you know, all these different names. Um, and so um, that connects to you know, around the time that the life got wiped off of on Mars. Mm -hmm. Mars was also a place of the second seeding of humans. It mm -hmm. was first done on Mars and then brought to uh, this this particular world. So, you know, way back when in our ancient history, we came and went from the cosmos pretty easily. You know, we understood uh, how to, you know, move through stargates and different portals. And that was like the norm. Coming and going was not, you know, a big issue until it got, you know, in the hands of, you know, the controllers Um, and things really digressed, and it wasn't about, you know, being in this sort of free galactic society. It was like we were quarantined because we got so attacked, and, and that's all a part of the ancient history of Mars, and there are ruins on Mars, and it connects, you know, with Egypt. Actually, Sidonia is the same um, layout as, um, I think, Washington, D.C., mm, but wow. there's also a connection with uh, Egypt, of course, right. and it's part of how they work the, the grids, I guess, um, of, of, of building And that's just, I know there's better experts to speak about that part of it. But currently on Mars, they have refurbished a lot of the ancient ruins, I guess. Um, if not, they built, you know, underground colonies. There are colonies. Captain K, who's become a good friend of mine, we talk, you know, almost every day, you know, who reached out to me, um, who was a part of the special section that Eisenhower set up in the right. 1950s to keep an eye on the alien technology, ended up serving on Mars for 17 years. Oh, wow. And Michael Ralph also served on Mars for about 20 years. They have almost identical stories. They don't even know each other. And I said to him, I said, do you know Michael? And, uh, you know, I, I think he's been researching a lot of people like Andrew as well. And his project doesn't really necessarily know about all the other projects because of the compartmentalism. But if you step back and look at all the different pieces, it starts to make sense. So you've got Project Pegasus with Andrew Bishago. That had to do with teleporting to Mars and using kids sort of as guinea pigs to see how they'd fare, you know, going, you know, through this sort of... Uh, journey mm -hmm. and um and to help set up things on mars captain k uh who's revealed his name you know randy um he was a officer he was a soldier guarding the mars colonies so he didn't really know what was going on in the colonies he was there to protect them from the indigenous reptilians so you know you almost feel like the the, the movie credits are going to go up at the end of the like a normal day like i literally i go to bed at night i'm like okay are the movie credits going to go up because <laughs> this is just you know it's like But you get to a point where you're in such conversation. Like, I've been talking to Andrew Bishago for a couple of years now. Right. You know, hours on the phone. Like, he, he's not getting paid to talk to anybody about this. And it's like, 
consistent. It's articulate. It's mm-hmm. it's very intelligent, and he knows what he's talking about. Same thing with Randy. I just met up with him on our trip back down from uh, being up north, and we talked for a couple hours. And it was just like any question, just and super friendly. And he's had his limbs blown off so many times and grown back. He's like, you can't even believe it. He's like, I've had my limbs blown off and regrown so many times. It's not even funny. And basically, he's a super soldier. So they've got technologies that we see in the movies. It is so mind-blowing. And so what's going on there is not so much actually what's happening there. It's the agenda that's now happening. It's been completely infiltrated, and it's basically about the New World Order agenda. I think early on when a lot of people were all about protecting the human genome and agreeing that it's good to you know, set up colonies in the event that there was a catastrophe, now it's become about an artificial timeline, fake catastrophes, you know, that, you know, are actually catastrophes, of course, but they're done through things like HARP, creating superstorms, creating right. all these false flags in the news, you know, and, and the secrecy surrounding the Mars stuff, which is starting to become more public because now that the whistle's been blown and everybody's talking about it, they don't really have much choice but to at least set up, which they've done and shared on CNN, you know, people can go to Mars now. Right. Um, but you have to pay a lot of money, of course. It's a very elitist thing. So what's going on there is there are colonies, they are and have been defended by um, soldiers and people from, um, you know, the military. But fortunately, Captain K was part of the special section. So his job was more was to keep an eye on everything, to be able to report back and tell us today what the hell's going on. I said, you know, if you were part of the special section that was more benevolent, why did you even have to go to Mars if it wasn't a good agenda? You know, and he said, you know, probably keep an eye on things so that if I ever had to talk about it, I could say I was there. I saw it firsthand, you know, because special section was always about protecting humanity, not about, you know, screwing us over for the, the elitists. That's mm-hmm. what, um, you know, Ike set up. And, uh, and, and now because he's under legal authority, he's not a whistleblower. He can tell us anything we want to know. So I would recommend you having him on the show. And he's very easily um, accessible. And he's totally open to sharing. He actually does consultations for a living now to help people answer all these crazy questions. And so we have disclosure, legal disclosure from the military, but it's a very small section. He says most of the rest of it, the army, the army, um, uh, this, you know, all these other factions of the military are totally corrupt. And they're run by, you know, corrupt people. And he said the rest of the super soldier programs are all trauma-based mind control, basically turning humans into weapons. Wow. So the Mars colony is for the elitists. And their hope is to be a breakaway civilization and to basically cleanse this earth or, you know, the other controller group's hope would be to enslave us, put us in FEMA camps and, you know, run the whole show. I've never, knowing the darkest of dark, I've never slipped into fear or any real concern, you know, about our future. And I know it, you know, sharing this stuff to some listening to it, it sounds pretty grim, but we have to understand that um, they're very threatened by us. They wouldn't bother with all these agendas if we right. didn't have something very special that we're here to tap into right now. It's totally uh, mind-blowing. Let me ask you something else about Mars really quick, because obviously, you know, we, we see the pictures being sent back, and there's people who spend hours upon hours looking at these photographs, and they claim to find everything from, like, rodents to ancient-looking artifacts. Do you, do you believe that that is uh, reliable? Uh, are these actual images from Mars, or is this kind of, you know, like a modern, uh, you know, moon landing that many people thought it was fake? Well, I mean, Andrew and Randy, and we're going to do a roundtable, me, Andrew, Bishago, and uh, Alfred Weber, and um, Captain K, to kind of talk about what did they see mm. compared to what the images we see are. So they both agree that the sky was blue, 
you know, many times the sky changed color. And uh, Captain K said it looked, you know, sort of like the Midwest, you know, big sky country, really, really beautiful. Um, As far as some of the images we get, you know, when you're dealing with NASA or anything else, you know, that's providing images, I would say some are legit. But when you're dealing with a planet, you're also dealing with something as big as the, you know, look at our planet. We've got desert, we've got trees, we've got... We've got everything, you know, right, right. and and Mars probably has, you know, some diversity. It seems to be mostly desert. As far as artifacts, there are um, indigenous reptilians there. There are insectoids, um, and he actually went into combat with them, and that's why his limbs got blown off. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he Jeez. was actually imprisoned um, and actually lived with the reptilians for about five or six months, and they taught him all sorts of things. Wow. And so you're just sitting there like you, you just want to be like, are you freaking like totally kidding me like <laughs> i mean somebody's got to tell me like aha uh-huh, this is all just you know just pulled your leg but i mean when you hear it and and you know i've had plenty of calls with him just one-on-one and just how energetic he is and how he goes into it and you know he's been recovering for about 12 years and you know we asked him a question how do you know if your memories are true or not you know because they right. could all be you know and he gave one of the best answers he said you know basically if it doesn't leave you alone and it hurts more to not take it seriously then it's the truth if mm. it's something that you believe but by the time two days roll around and you're not thinking about it anymore and it doesn't matter if you pay attention to it or not then it probably isn't real it's the things that create a certain urgency that ask us to look at it that once we recover the memories and assimilate it we feel that we're healed that's mm-hmm. when it's truth when it's just sort of a passing thought and it goes away and it doesn't come back more than likely it's not real and so he's very meticulous he doesn't feel like you know giving a bunch of BS out there. So he knows more than me what out there is disinfo, propaganda, sort of to just kind of make us feel like we're, you know, going somewhere and what's actually real. They did that with the landings on the moon, you know. The whole NASA thing and just the space shuttle thing is just this surface facade to make us think that we're advancing when in actual fact they've been doing stuff, as we know, behind the scenes for so long. Wow. Um, Could I just quickly ask a kind of small detail question? Um... Are there kind of, is the image that we are being fed of Mars and of, you know, other planets such as Venus, um, basically regarding things such as surface structure and temperature, you know, atmospheric structure, um, are they basically all lies and are they a lot more um, habitable than what we are being told? What I've come to understand, and I'm uh, friends with Craig Campobasso, who's uh, putting out the movie Stranger at the Pentagon, which is all about the beings from Venus, which Mm -hmm. I recommend everybody watch. I mean, I think they call it fiction, but it's actually not. Um, Eisenhower put them on VIP status for three years, and they tried to get us out of this mess, but the shadow government shut them down. But they are hovering in motherships all around the planet. They will not leave us. They're on our side. They said that they live within the planet, and that most planets have an inner, you know, inner cities well Mm -hmm. that sounds like the inner city but you know what i mean like underground caverns uh, underground cities um and we also have that in the united states it's different we've got underground bases and we've got underground cities you know Mm -hmm. we got the argarthan network we've got shambhala you know we've got the beings in talos but we also have four thousand or so underground bases on venus they live underground is what i was told Mm -hmm. by craig um, as far as Mars goes, there's a lot going on underground. There's a lot going on on the surface. I would say most of the surface images are not accurate, especially of Mars. Mm-hmm. But when we, we, we also have to realize that we're sort of dealing with multidimensional things. You know, there's yeah. some things that certain people can see that others can't. It's the same thing with ETs. You know, why doesn't everybody experience them? You know, why, isn't, why doesn't everybody see fairies? You know, why do only some people have certain experiences? It sort of depends on your soul family pods. You know, what you're able to see based on what you're ready to see. 
But I would say that most images, if they come from um, an organization that's public, would be a lie. Um, and the things that are coming from whistleblowers and those that are disclosing truth you know, are accurate. But then there's also plants, you know, people that are set up to look like they're truth tellers that get us further away from the goal. And so it's a very difficult um, thing to um, have discernment about. But uh, I think Andrew Bishago and Randy know more than anything else because they've been to Mars, you know, which which ones are accurate. But I haven't seen their total assessment based on images that have been passed around. I mean, I've seen Andrew show a lot of images that look like the NASA photos, and he just points things out that he remembers. Mm. You know, so on that level, yeah, maybe. But at the same time, a lot of people say that there's water, there's trees. And so what happened to me, just to go back to that question, is I was recruited to be a permanent colonist on the Mars colony. So I would have been one of those that somebody like Captain K would have been defending, you know, the colony that I might have been in. And it was basically, they set it up like, oh, it's for your protection, you know, you got to go here with us, and blah, 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 blah. And I knew that, you know, maybe it's connected to the Eisenhower bloodline thing, you know, I'm sure they don't want me to do what I do and what I came here to do, because I've been aware of my mission ever since I was a kid. I was pre-identified in Project Pegasus, I was pre-targeted before I was even born to steer me towards that, and I fought it tooth and nail my whole life. Not easy at all. It was an energetic nightmare. I was being attacked by psychotronic weaponry that I found out about around the time I broke away from the recruitment because I discovered that the names connected to the recruitment were the ones that have those weapons and are the ones that have artificial telepathy technology that create false encounters with ETs. Um, that, and, and that's what the partner that wanted to take me to Mars was experiencing and trying to set up this big thing of us going to Mars. We're not really dealing with a lot of real grays anymore either. We're dealing with my labs, military abductions, and they've got the DNA from certain races, and they can actually create species that aren't even real species and use them to make it look like it's ETs. So a lot of the abductions we're dealing with now are based on the technologies of the military and some of these hidden factions like MJ-12 have taken over, and they're not even legit ETs anymore. Most ETs are benevolent, but the reptilian, this certain faction, has engineered something so huge and monstrous and, you know, I know that I get close to the truth when I share it, but people have got to understand there are gray areas. If you find that something doesn't quite resonate or you see something else, you know, just do your best like I am and try and put the dots together. But beyond a reasonable doubt, what I share is about as close to truth as I can get. But I'm always open to, you know, adjusting. But uh, this is what I've assessed and discovered. Um, not wanting to go in, into kind of too much detail because we're running out of time. Um, but, uh, you know, along the lines of how you kind of got seriously interested in this was there any defining moment where you kind of you know became convinced basically because i mean up to a certain point you must have had your doubts as well i mean i I can only assume yeah i mean i kind of live a double life of like knowing that absolutely this is what i'm dealing with ever since i was a kid i was like so in touch with you know past lives sort of the larger picture i was aware of timelines and the window period we're in i i had all sorts of outer body. I spent most of my existence out of my body sort of, you know, understanding all this crazy stuff that I'm now speaking about. So what I'm sharing has been a part of a lifelong mission and understanding. But I have this other part of me that is completely and totally skeptical. That's always sort of the interrogator and sort of like putting myself on the hot seat and everybody else in my life in in a benevolent way, of course, to just make sure that there aren't any um, weak points or manipulations or mind control or disinformation going on you have to be that like on top of it and that meticulous because you know there are all sorts of manipulations so 
being on this path has been, yes, this is absolutely what it is. But in order to be able to accurately talk about it or assess the situation or know what we should do and, and where we're headed and what we can do to turn it all around, you have to ask a ton of questions. You have to be the skeptic. You have to be so aware of the technologies and all the probabilities and possibilities that by the at the end of the day, you've got something that has considered all of that and still there's a common thread and something that remains strong that nothing can take away. And that's the part that I speak from. And I was not wanting to have a voice until I got to that place. Uh, Laura, we're, we're almost out of time, but if you could be so kind to answer one, one more question from one of our friends who's sitting here. He, he has a really good question. They've been listening to, to all the information you've been sharing with us. And I want to let Steve ask actually uh, his question here. So. Uh, concerning um, this information that we're getting from these uh, soldiers uh, that you mentioned, um, these ex-military, um, how do we discern uh, whether or not they've been programmed, um, let's say, through hypnosis or something? Yeah, well, we're very much on top of asking those kind of questions. And, you know, when you're dealing with somebody who's just recovering their memories, you got to be very careful with them. He's been at this for about 12 years, and he's really worked it out to where... Um, you know, he's had a lot of regression. He's, uh, you know, also found others that were there with him. Um, and like I said, he answered questions that really made it clear that he was able to pretty much figure what was real and what wasn't. His stories also coincide with other people that have had similar experiences and they haven't even met. So wow. there's always that to consider. That's why to have a fixed belief about any of it would not be the wisest thing. I have an extremely open mind, but I don't fix my beliefs. But I know that him and Andrew have a sincerity and a depth of character and an integrity that puts them above, you know, anything in my book as far as being um, disinfo. But we all talk a lot about making sure that they're not operating from any disinformation and they're meticulous with themselves because they know that they're subject to that kind of thing, dealing with what, what they've been dealing with. So I don't have to be concerned because they care about that part of it. If they were sort of like, no, everything I share is 100% true, that'd be a little concerned. Like, well, what if that's a manipulation? He, um, particularly Captain K, has higher-ups. He's got a brigadier he talks to regularly and a colonel, and he's got a whole slew of people that are encouraging him to speak out, even though he had the free will to choose not to, that advise him constantly. And he's going to have legal proof coming out about his time there, so we will get the proof. But in the meantime, we got to give him the benefit of the doubt. We have to understand his sincerity. And yes, we absolutely have to have discernment because, you know, there, there could be that. But when you look at all the different whistleblowers, all the different projects, and the whole of our galactic history, and what Mars is all about, and the fact that I got recruited, and I've been through everything under the sun to prove that I haven't been mind control. They actually said they can't mind control me, but whatever, you know. But I had to question all that. I had to be sure that I'm not, yeah. you know, programmed and just sharing stuff. So I've gone through the ringer to make sure. And it all links up. All the dots are connecting. So we can only hope, but still continue to have discernment, but also have an open mind. That's great. I just have one more question. So those reincarnated souls that cannot ascend, are they just doomed? They could be our family members, our friends, or are they just doomed to not ascend? No way. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Never, ever going to feel that way. I mean, we are dealing with a much more benevolent universe and creation than we realize you know we're we've been hijacked we've been you know dealing with parasitic forces you know it's like the soul the spirit it's infinite you know the physical yes it expires you know we lose our physicality but we're also in advanced human vessels that can achieve you know that merkaba you know sort of uh, light body potential which is going from carbon-based to crystalline we have that potential and we'll keep coming back until we figure it out 
Worst case scenario for some souls, they do digress into grades. They do get linked in, into an artificial intelligence system. But nothing about this universe is about abandonment and letting people be doomed. Or we wouldn't have spirit guides. We wouldn't have rescue missions. We wouldn't have higher beings coming and assisting us. And we can see, and it proves itself if we look at the whole history on a galactic level of what we've been dealing with, we have had a lot of help, and we always have. Wow. Um, and if anybody's enslaved, you know, they have the potential to be, you know, not. But you, we also have to understand we're in a free will universe. If we keep moving in that direction, we create our own demise. But at the end of the day, we return to space dust. We get engulfed back into source and all that is, and we get rebirthed into another form. You can't destroy spirit, and we're all a part of that energy. We might lose our ego. We might lose our soul matrix, but we don't lose our life force. Laura, this has been a fascinating, fascinating uh, interview. I want to thank you so much uh, for being with us tonight. You're going to be at Contact in the Desert, the conference over there at the Joshua Tree Retreat Center. It's taking place August 8th through the 11th. Um, why don't you tell people where they can find more information about you and what you do? Okay, well, my website's CosmicGaiaSophia.com. And if that's too difficult to remember... Um, Laura Magdalene Eisenhower um, is my Facebook name. Um, we'll be speaking at Contact in the Desert. My lecture is Friday at 2 to 3.30 in Noble Hall, and my workshop is Sunday from 9 to 11. And it'll basically be a lot about what I've already shared, but, you know, very much um, in that chronology and organized fashion with pictures and things that you can read to really get a grip on all this information. And um, I really appreciate you having me. No, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so and much. we hope to uh, have you back, hopefully, in the near future. There's so much more that we would like to uh, explore with you. Thank you so much, Laura. Have a great night. Thank uh, you. You've been great. Thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Have a great Bye. night. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Bye. Wow. She's awesome. Amazing. That, that was one of the most mind-blowing mind editions yeah, right. <laughs> of West of the Rockies I that we've had the pleasure to do. That's the specific word that uh, comes to mind. I want to apologize to Genevieve because we ran into her show a little bit, but uh, that's uh, this fine. was... Like, honestly, I was saying, just run over, <laughs> just run over. It, it, was, it was really fascinating. I want to thank, obviously, Dr. Uh, David Jacobs for, for being on the show. He's going to be uh, also sharing some information at the uh, Contact in the Desert Conference. And, of course, uh, another huge thanks to Laura Eisenhower. She was uh, incredible and I think we were all kind of sitting here <laughs> in awe, in awe in of all of this awe. information this is one of those shows that I will have to uh, listen back to and, and take notes because I, I know I, I was I, as I was trying to process one one bit of information she was just you know <laughs> sharing so much time, more I feel like some a lot of these lessons that I've been learning have been validated are, are continually uh, being validated um, through these different experiences and these different talks, these different connections um, that I uh, have and experience. This is, it was really amazing. Yeah, and I'm glad you guys were able to stop by and, and hear some of it. Ernie, why don't you tell us one more time, Heritage Square next weekend, correct? Heritage Square next weekend, uh, Saturday the 9th at hauntedoc.com. Uh, you can get all the information and see who's going to be there. I know Jorge's going to be there. Jorge's going to be, be there. And I want Laura now to be with us. I'm like, Laura, Eisenhower, please come. I just want a BFFer, you know? Right? And it's like. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, uh, I, I think it would be definitely cool to have somebody like Laura at that investigation. But I know um, uh, Ben Hansen's going to be there. Uh, Jorge's going to be there. Jorge, uh, Dana Workman, and we may have a couple other special guests that we're working on. But it's going to be a lot of fun. If you've never tried it, uh, it's going to be a blast, uh, especially the people we 
we have coming there a lot of fun to, uh, to, to hang out with and investigate with awesome well uh, thank you Ernie Jorge Steven for, for popping in and, and sharing this uh, great show with us tonight uh, Genevieve thank you for, for hanging in there I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut fine. up now and let you do your thing uh, so that people can enjoy some music uh, this has been West of the Rockies uh, thank you guys for sticking around it was a, an amazing show if you miss any part of it I promise it will be on Mixcloud sometime soon I saw the hashtag going around what was it Frank needs to put shows on Mixcloud or something. Yeah, how I can't. do I get a recording of this, Frank? I really I'll, do, yeah. I'll, I'll hook you up uh, before you leave, okay. my friend. Uh, so, um, and for everybody else, I promise I will put shows up. Uh, and we're talking about Mars, so we're going to go out with a song about Mars. Uh, how fitting, right? This is me p tying everything together like a professional, or pretending to be. Take care, guys. Uh, uh, I'll see you next week. And uh, what's my usual thing? Take care, be safe, God bless. Don't do anything too crazy. We want to see you back next week. Uh, enjoy this tune. Genevieve and No Added Flavors is coming up. Bye. It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair But her mommy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream Seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a saddening ball For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask her to focus on Sailors fighting in the dance hall
Unlimited FM. New York, London, Philadelphia, Japan, Chicago, Paris, San Francisco, Tijuana, Los Angeles, California. The Independent FM Indie Radio, live from Swing House Studios in Hollywood. This is the all-new Independent FM.